Well, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me again. Julian Campbell here with Business, The Law and You. And we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one is the best way to solve recurring problems at work. We're also going to have a chat with Christina with our Minute on Innovation. We're going to look at a couple more of those innovative products. Right now, we're going to have a chat with Tony Vidray from AV Chartered Accountants. Good afternoon, Tony. Hi, Gillian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I thought you thought you'd jump in and say something about the best way to solve recurring work problems. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I solve my recurring work problems here by just um, staying away. Staying away from the problem. <laughs> just, that's it. I just leave, leave everyone else to do it. <laughs> well, Hopefully they've got to sort it by the time I turn up. Let's talk about a few challenges with the uh, tax office. Um, yeah. Other people's refunds. Yes, this is an interesting one. So apparently in the last few months, um, some personal details for, from individual taxpayers have been stolen, phishing scam that occurred a couple of months ago, and uh, the perpetrators lodged um, some false um, tax returns. And this is, this is a, one of the classic, um, you know, uh, uh, incompetent robber-type stories because I quite like what happened here. Um, they didn't quite pull off the scam um, 100% because they, whilst they were able to trick the tax office into um, issuing quite large refunds. Um, the refunds went into the bank accounts of the individuals. So it actually they turned up in the bank account of the people um, who, uh, who actually own the tax file number. And uh, what's, what's interesting about that is that straight away, um, these, the story goes that these people realised that it wasn't their money. They realised that it was from the ATO and they <clears throat> clearly had not lodged their tax return. So they can't... Um, spend it or head off to Europe about it. Um, but these robbers realised that the, um, the EFT details um, were wrong and, the, and had gone to the actual individuals. So they actually tried to ring the people up and pretend they were from the tax office and one of them apparently said, we've made a mistake, we've put money into your account that's not yours, it needs to be refunded. Um, but these people, once they started asking a few questions, they, the, uh, the person abruptly ended the call. So uh, the fraud wasn't quite uh, perpetrated. The money went back to the tax office, and then, um, and then, yeah, they get to lodge their uh, their return. So, yeah. look, it's another one of these great stories where you've got to be very, very careful with your with your uh, with your, all your identity documents, and just make sure you uh, you don't fall prey to these people. Yeah, and uh, you've got a couple of uh, recent cases regarding with regarding uh, transporting of bulky tools. Yeah, so <clears throat> interesting cases that have occurred um, fairly close together, and it's all around uh, claiming car expenses or motor vehicle expenses. So we all should know that the general um, proposition or the general principle is that if you're travelling from home to work, that is not a tax deduction. So it's it's too early in the process for it to be linked to the earning of, um, of any assessable income. So there are a couple of loopholes in that, a couple of um, exceptions. And one of them if, is if you have to transport bulky tools to and from your, your place of work. So it's fair enough, you know, like you're a carpenter and... Um, so you've got quite a bit that you have to transport to and fro. So they give you, pardon me, they give you an exemption to be able to do that. Well, two people tried uh, to argue that they were transporting bulky equipment, and they both failed. So the first was a lady who was a stevedore, and uh, she had to. Uh, uh, she argued that she had to travel backwards and forwards. She claimed twenty two thousand dollars in car expenses, by the way. So it stuck out like a sore thumb, and and she was plucked out for a review. And when they started questioning her. The, the sort of um, equipment that she was transporting backwards and forwards was um, protective clothing, 
um, equipment. So when they started drilling down and the, the tax office said, well, look, you know, this stuff, hard hat safety glasses, um, hearing protection, headlight, they really weren't required to be transported. It wasn't part of her the conditions of her work that she really needed to transport those backwards and forwards to and from um, home to work. They, she actually could have left those at her place of work. Um, her employer, interestingly, um, cleaned all of her overalls, so she wasn't even required to take that home. So it boiled down to whether she was able to claim or to argue that her shirts, trousers and occasional wet weather gear, being a stevedore, um, was considered bulky and the, and the AAT essentially said, well, no, no. no it's <clears throat> certainly not bulky or, or cumbersome. Interestingly, there was another case many, many years ago that I looked up that uh, was an airline steward and he was arguing the same sort of um, argument, transporting bulky equipment, and his equipment was essentially his suitcase. And <laughs> even though it weighed it weighed 20 kilos, he lost that case because 20 kilos... It's not bulky. Wasn't con- it wasn't considered bulky enough. So um, so it really has to be, you know, um, quite um, heavy stuff. And then there was another um, another case, which was a sheet metal guy, and uh, he worked for a company, and he was trying to argue that... Well, he had an interesting argument. He, he actually claimed $18,000. Um, and expenses, and um, there wasn't a lot that he was really transferring that was bulky. It was small hand tools like shifters and screwdrivers. But he was concerned that if he left all that equipment at his place of work, um, the storage lockers weren't secure enough and that they'd be stolen. So the ATO doing their sort of recon work, they contacted the employer, and the employer said, well, no, they are secure, they're locked. And and, um, so it was based on this sort of unfounded assumption that the... um, Insecure. yeah, that wasn't secure. And in the end, you know, he, he actually conceded that he wasn't required by his employer, it wasn't a condition of his employment, to transfer those tools backwards and forwards. It was more his own decision. So, again, mm. he, he lost. So if you're going to do that sort of stuff, yeah, it's got to be more be be than 20 kilos. It's got to be a condition of your employment. So, um, yeah, you know, tick a few boxes to get that deduction. Now, what about this one? Uh, pay your tax or you don't get to leave Australia. You'll love this one. You'll love this. You remember a couple of years ago, Paul Hogan was served with a notice that was they called departure prohibition orders. They're called a DPO, another acronym, where the tax officers have got the right, if they think that a person has a tax liability and they're going to leave the country and they have reason to believe that the um, tax liability won't be paid, they can actually slap a departure prohibition order on them and they, um, they need to stay in Australia until they resolve their case. So this particular one was... It happened just this year, 23rd of January 2017. This particular individual, Mr Backley, he was an Australian citizen, travelling to and from Dubai to Australia, comes back to Australia on the 6th of January, and while he's passing through customs, he was actually served with notices of amended assessment for his tax liabilities for the <laughs> June 11 year through the June 15. Can you imagine this happening in the, in the cube, standing there, waiting, you know, shaking your head, waiting for all the, all the people on. in front of you to go through, and someone turns up and sucks you with a... Uh, tax liability. Yeah, tax liability. His was pretty significant at $4.5 million. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so essentially at the end of the day, they said, well, no, we think you've got significant liabilities. Here it is here. Um, you can't now leave the country until, um, until you sort those um, things out. So... Again, um, they do have the right to do that um, where, they, where they believe that um, your, um, your tax liability is, is significant, whatever that means. Right. Well, we might leave the black economy one for another time. Yeah, that's an interesting one too. Yeah. We'll talk about that one Well, later. thanks for your time today, and uh, we're going to talk to you again in a couple of weeks' time anyway about something slightly different. Yep, OK. All we'll right. Have, have a good, a good week. Day. Bye-bye. Cheers.
Tony Vidray there with some interesting little things that the tax office gets up to. Time to pop over to Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. What a beautiful sunny day. It is a beautiful day, isn't it? And uh, we're going to look at um, some more of those innovative products. You've got something about an access ring. An access ring. So the ring is called Token, and it actually just looks like a wedding band. So, And I'm imagining that once they've developed this product further, you'll be able to get it in any design that you like, and it will just become part of part of the normal jewellery buying um, system that we go through. But what, what they're looking at with this ring called Token is they're looking at replacing credit cards, keys, passwords, everything. They believe that it's more um, reliable than an actual fingerprint, mm. um, that it because it, it's put on the whole finger, it recognises the... the shape, the size, the the imprint of the whole finger. Um, And what it means is that you'll be able to enter your car by passing the The ring, ring. you know, knocking. At the moment, they've got it knocking twice. So I'm not sure about the scratching capability, but knocking Mm. twice on the car, you'll be able to to open the door. You will um, pass it over a security system that allows you to enter your house. You will go to the supermarket and you will, you know, now where we're we're doing the the chips, we're doing um, pay pass with with the credit cards, You'll just be you'll just be needing to put this ring on there. So mm. you know, anywhere from taxis to supermarkets to entering into your house to entering your car to en- entering um, a security building, everything will be able to happen via this token ring. So it's quite they're calling it a token biometric ring, more foolproof than an actual fingerprint. So, so it must relate to you somehow because if you lose your ring. That's right. If you, well, the minute you take it off, it stops functioning. It okay. has to be physically on your body. Um, mm. And they've got it charging. The, the little um, video uh, promo that I saw for it has it charging very similar to the Apple Watch. Oh, yes. So the Apple Watch sits on a, on a little, um, you know, little charger. Yep. So does the ring. It sits on a charger. It's not activated until it, um, until it goes onto your finger. You cannot use it unless you're wearing it. So wearable tech going in goodness knows which direction. Same, um, same other, with my Apple Watch. If I take my watch off. It won't, it, it won't work unless mm. I put my code back in again. Yep, back in. Yeah, that's right. Well, I have to say, uh, I think it's better than the fingerprints because uh, my fingerprint never works on my phone. And <laughs> I, I quite agree. So, well, and if your fingerprints are wet, they don't they yeah. don't work either. Like if you've got slightly wet or damp fingers, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about the Apple Watch is they're now looking at the next um, iteration of it yeah. working independently of the phone. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to the update that's coming out in about a month's time too, which is uh, supposed to have a lot of uh, extra applications. That's right, and you and I are both Apple converts, so you know we could sit here and talk about the new improvements for ages, but we won't. Let's talk um, about this suction desk. Okay, the desk view. It's called a desk view. I think it's fantastic. Uh, so it's made out of um, aero, aero-based materials, which means it's quite light. It can hold up to 70 pounds of weight. Um, and what it, it comes ready assembled, and it's just like a little a, a little wooden desk. It can come in a variety of colours, um, and it suctions onto a window. So if you've got a beautiful view, and let's face it, a lot of the buildings now are being built with you know completely open windows, but they're wasted spaces because you can't actually get anywhere near them um, with, with desks and things like that. This is like a, a portable stand-up desk. So where you've got the the laptop desks that you can sit on a lounge or you know in bed, heaven forbid, um, working on the laptop, it, it's kind of that system but it suctions onto a window so they're Mm. they're quite secure suction caps you know with levers and everything then they're not just your little suction caps that you put in your bathroom that fall over all the time um they're quite secure suction caps it's big enough for a you know for an ipad um a a tablet a, a laptop your phone a mouse it's big enough to work on 
and wherever you can put it so you are no longer wasting the mm. best place in the office, which, which is the, you know, the view, which is absolutely sensational. 70 pounds, I can't, I was going to convert that into kilos before, um, before we spoke and I forgot to. Um, but it's very, it's a simple mobile, it's flexible, you know, stand up desks, it varies with the height of the user, you don't have to sit, you can actually have a sit down, you know, you can put it where you, where you want to sit. Um, and apparently when you take the suction caps off, there's no marks left on the windows, which, and I think that's that's quite an important. You know, if we're looking at user experience, who then wants to go and find the method to clean the windows to get everything off? That, um, so, I was going to say, and your last one that you've got there is interesting because, as I was saying to you offline, I was um, in a, a coffee shop earlier, and they took my order, and they know me fairly well and they know my name and I was sitting there just thinking wouldn't it be interesting if they could scan your face and what do you come up with? And here we go, no facial recognition. So they've already been, they already raised a million dollars in funding late last year um, to help with the launch of the Noah Face product. And what it does, it, it started up, okay, here we go again, identify a problem and come up with a solution. So a cafe owner uh, who found it impossible to remember all his customers' names when he first purchased a, a cafe in the Sydney um, Central Business District. He couldn't find anybody that had a solution, so he went to um, to a developer and they created NOAA, a NOAA Face product, which is a facial recognition software that helps cafe owners and staff remember customers' names and therefore the customers feel welcome because, let's face it, we go back not only for the quality of a coffee, but we go back because we feel a connection with the people that are serving us, those of us that are regular coffee drinkers at regular coffee houses. Yeah. Um, and, and it's that part of, you know, that, that familial almost relationship that you form with your barista who knows, you know, I can walk into, into coffee shops now and they go, oh, yeah, you want the almond cappuccino, you want it a bit hot, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that, that's, I find that quite amazing that they remember um, or maybe it says something about me. I'm not sure. Uh, but but you know, it, it, it's that familial thing, that that yeah. relationship that you build. And this Noah facial recognition, um, this this um, gentleman developed because he couldn't remember yeah. um, who his customers were because they had so many of them. And they're now pitching it uh, in what they're calling a lion's den competition for um, for food. In the, for the food industry. So quite amazing that he's already raised a million dollars for this for funding mm. um, and now they're, they're going to pitch it um, as part of the Fine Food Australia trade show, which is quite amazing. It's such a simple idea. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time again. We'll uh, have a chat again next week. Look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with a couple of our uh, innovative products, particularly that face scan one. It really... Uh, dealt with me because that was on my mind just before uh, I spoke to Christina. So we've got time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips. And as we said earlier, the best way to solve recurring work problems. Problems at work tend to be repetitive. No one complains because their boss was angry one time or a colleague failed to pitch in once. The next time you're in a familiar, noxious work setting where someone is doing the same thing as usual, try something different. Improvise. Break the routine. For example, if you have an employee who's chronically late to meetings and reprimanding him or her in the past hasn't solved the problem, the next time they're late, stop the meeting and praise him or her for all that she or he is doing right. Everyone will be caught off guard and it may actually resolve the problem once and for all. By introducing an unfamiliar dynamic... You encourage your counterpart to respond differently in turn. So that's an interesting way of looking at some of those problems, isn't it?
Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at some of those uh, strange tax uh, things that were coming up, particularly the departure prohibition orders. We've also looked at some of those exciting new innovative products coming along. In a moment, Jane Klein will be with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk with Alan Stevens, who is a profiling and communication specialist, about do you talk yourself out of a deal? We'll also have our Minute on Innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Thomas Edison once said, the value of an idea lies in using it. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>